Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Far to which... For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. But what about the sun, he says? Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? May God bless that reading. Thank you, Andy, for coming. We'll just pray for Andy. It's quite a challenge, this passage, but we thank God for... Andy's ministry um, to us as a church and to many churches. So come on, Andy, let's pray for you. Thank you for coming. And thank you, Mim, as well, because I know she's very much part of the team as well. We need our wives, don't we? That's for sure. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Andy and Mim. I thank you for this incredible book of Hebrews. And thank you, Lord, for the time that Andy's um, just seeped in this scripture, Lord, I pray. And I just pray through his spirit you will speak through him powerfully. But I also pray for us, the listener, that we will hear what you have to say to each one of us. Help us just to understand even more fully how incredible your son Jesus is. So just bless this time and help us to understand, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for your welcome. I think that little cry of distress we heard a few moments ago came exactly as Matt mentioned my name. But it's a great pleasure to be with you on this lovely, lovely morning, isn't it? 
Um, but it's always like this in Cornard, isn't it? <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Well, if you have a Bible, please, would you look at Hebrews 1 as we start your studies, your series of studies in this uh, epistle, Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm going to take the liberty of just reading one more verse, the first verse of chapter 2, because um, it links with what we have read. Chapter 2 and verse 1, with what we've read in mind, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Okay, well, Hebrews, as I guess you're already aware, Hebrews is, has been called the deep waters of the New Testament. It is a very complex epistle, and you're going to discover this if you haven't already done so over these uh, next weeks as you look at the, uh, the epistle. Its language and its imagery are steeped in the Old Testament, suggesting that the epistle was originally written to Jewish believers, people who would have been familiar with the Old Testament, and therefore the concepts and the language wouldn't have struck them as strange or difficult to understand in the same way that it does perhaps to us. So keep that in mind as you, um, as you go through the epistle. It was originally addressed to people who were familiar, more familiar than we are, with Old Testament language and practice. The author... Uh, of the epistle and the date of writing are unknown historically it was called Paul's epistle to the Hebrews I think it's addressed like that in the authorized version as if I'm not mistaken but most bible scholars agree that Paul is not the author but we don't know who the author is or the date on which it was written it was probably written around AD 60 when the new church, the early church, had faced uh, a time of severe persecution. And this is referred to in chapter 10 and verses 32 to 34. The writer talks about the earlier days when the church was persecuted. And it seems that in the light of this persecution, some of the believers had drawn back from their commitment uh, not necessarily that they had rejected, but they had drawn back. Some even possibly had reverted to um, Old Testament Judaism rather than the following of Christ. And others, in the face of persecution, sorry, Andy, have I got it wrong again? No, just, dare I say you've got a good beard? <laughs> okay, you'd like to say that through the microphone. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Um, some had drawn back others it would appear from the chapters to follow were compromising their faith um, to make the Christian message more palatable and less offensive if you see what I mean to, to their hearers and in the light of this the writer urges the believers to remain faithful to Jesus and true to the faith that's the theme of the chapters uh, as they will unfold. Now the epistle focuses, um, focuses on the nature and the supremacy of Christ. 
keep that phrase in mind because this will be the bottom line all through the uh, the uh, following chapters hebrews focuses on the nature and the supremacy of christ and it shows how old testament prophecies and promises and requirements are fulfilled and completed in him there is a phrase that is repeated through the uh, epistle the phrase once for all and it applies to jesus it's mentioned again and again and the writer is saying how in the old testament sacrifices had to be made time after time week after week year after year for the forgiveness of sins but in the sacrifice of jesus on the cross it was a once for all sacrifice sufficient for all time and for all people and for all sin praise god that is the message of hebrews it, this of course gives us confidence it gives us now confidence as we approach god to know that the sacrifice of jesus 2000 years ago is utterly sufficient for us to approach god with confidence it's a done deal and it also gives us courage as we live in a hostile world and although ladies and gentlemen we live in christian england as we used to call it i think things are getting more difficult even in our own country aren't they for the christian church and the christian believer we need to be aware we need to be aware that the godless world is still hostile to the gospel and to the cross of christ and we may need these words in coming days to give us renewed courage as we live in a hostile world so although complex steeped in the old testament hebrews contains godly insight and great wisdom and this chapter we're just going to focus on for a few moments this chapter chapter 1 reveals the supremacy of christ in a number of ways let me just unfold them for you firstly three ways in which the supremacy of christ is seen firstly he is greater than the prophets greater than the prophets in the past God spoke to us in many and various ways through the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son now that isn't to belittle the old testament prophets please understand me that is not to belittle them in their ministry or their importance god's self revelation in the old testament was largely through the message of the prophets and they had a profound influence on israel's history and we need the prophets today uh, the old testament if you like as much as we need the new testament i remember as a young christian in bible class being taught the relationship between the old and new testaments uh, were you ever familiar with this phrase the new is in the old concealed and the old is by the new revealed one or two of you nodding your heads you're older than i thought <laughs> but uh, it's a good it's a, a, a statement worth remembering the new is in the old concealed 
and the old is by the new revealed. We need both testaments. The Old Testament prophets were vitally important in Old Testament times, but they still speak to us today. Though persecuted very often, the the prophetic ministry, although the prophets were often persecuted because they, like us, brought a message that hurt, Uh, The prophetic ministry was highly revered. Do you remember how when John the Baptist emerges onto the scene? uh, John the Baptist in the New Testament, of course, but he is the last of the Old Testament line of prophets. And such was his ministry that people asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? And when he said, no, no, they said, are you Elijah? Uh, There was a sense of reverence and awe when they spoke, not only about the coming Messiah, but also about um, the the prophets of the Old Testament. Yet even the greatest of the prophets, let me say this firmly but carefully, even the greatest of the prophets were flawed, sinful human beings. They were... As James says in his epistle about Elijah the prophet, uh, James says that Elijah was a man just like us. And ladies and gentlemen, as a minister of the gospel, I find that immensely encouraging. I find that immensely encouraging. We must not deify the prophets. They were men just like us. They spoke God's word. But they were flawed, sinful human beings. Speaking God's word but having no inherent power to enforce it or fulfill it. In fact, when asked to describe his ministry, John the Baptist said in memorable words, he said, I am simply the voice of one calling. Prepare the way for the one who is to come. I am simply a voice, no more than that, a voice of one calling, prepare the way of the Lord. Now Paul in the New Testament reminds us, although we may not see ourselves as prophets per se, uh, Paul reminds us that we face the same problem as the Old Testament prophets. He puts it in poetic language. He says we have this treasure, this gospel treasure, we have it in earthen vessels. That was true of the Old Testament prophets, and it is true of us as well. We have this treasure, this gospel treasure, this salvation, this message of hope. We have it in earthen vessels, very conscious that we are flawed, sinful human beings. But now, says the writer to the Hebrews, but now God has spoken to us by his Son. And you'll remember how John, uh, the disciple in his gospel, he puts it in this way. The word became flesh. So in Jesus, this is the superiority of Jesus. In Jesus, we not only have word, but we have flesh. We not only have the message, but we have the, we have the person. In Jesus, God not only gave us his word, but he gave us himself. The eternal God became fully human. But that 
fully human being was none less than the eternal God. Isn't that an amazing truth? We're familiar with it, aren't we? But let it grip you. Let it excite you. That the eternal God became fully human in a child in Bethlehem. In a man in Galilee. Fully human. But that human being was none less than the eternal God. Jesus, the word, become flesh. Superior to the prophets. Greater than the prophets. Secondly, um, the writer tells us in chapter 1 that Jesus is greater than the angels. So let's talk about angels for a few moments. What comes to your mind when the word angel is mentioned? Feathery wings and halos and fluffy clouds and harps? Well, uh, there may be good reason for that. The Bible does picture them for us in a a number of ways. Uh, But please, can I say, if that is the extent of your, uh, your picture... Uh, with respect, forget it, because that has become more the stuff of cartoons than it has of scripture itself. The Bible tells us that angels are awesome. Awesome. Winds, flames of fire, says Hebrews chapter 1, and even on a good day, They can be terrifying. Do you remember those Christmas shepherds? Even when angels brought them good news. And let's remember, although the shepherds were humble men, they were strong men, outdoor men, men's men. And they were together, a bunch of strong men. But faced with angels from heaven, they were terrified. Angels are awesome. Even on a good day, (laughs) they can be terrifying. But angels are created beings. Their power is limited. It is received, not inherent. And chapter 1 of Hebrews tells us that they worship God. They bow down before God and they serve him. They are servants. Now, if you have your Bible open, notice the contrast between verse 3 and verse 8. In verse 3, to which angel did God ever say, you are my son? No, God did never call an angel his son because angels are not sons of God. They are angelic beings created by God, servants, not sons. But in verse 8, speaking of the coming Jesus, God says son. And he uses the word God. And he uses the word kingdom. Words used by God himself of the son. The Son is God. The Son has and shares the kingdom of God. The words are used implying that Christ is uniquely different to the angels. While they worship God and serve God, spiritual beings with immense dignity and authority, Jesus is different. 
He is God in nature. He is God in name. And he is God in authority. The sun, says the writer in verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. What a wonderful phrase. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So with, may I say, may I take it that you agree with me, with the shepherds, those Christmas shepherds, we stand in awe of angelic beings. We recognize and respect them for what they are and for what they do. Spiritual beings, sinless beings, majestic beings, servants of God. But they are not divine. They themselves recognize the deity and the supremacy of Christ and they worship him. So Jesus greater than the prophets, greater than the angels. And thirdly and finally for this morning, Jesus is greater than the creation. Verse 10, the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. And the your there is a reference to Jesus. How much would the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, how much would the writer have known about the vastness of the created universe? Certainly a great deal less than we do. The world has become much smaller in some senses, hasn't it? We can travel to the other side of the world in relatively few hours. That would have been unthought of, unimaginable in the days of the New Testament. The world has become smaller in many ways. But as the world has become smaller, our understanding of the vastness of creation has increased. Uh, did you Were you listening a week or two ago, perhaps a month or two ago now, when we were hearing on the news that a new black hole had been discovered and was actually being photographed. How do you photograph a black hole? I don't know um, beyond me. But what is absolutely, to my mind, is absolutely staggering that this black hole is 60 million light years away from the Earth. Now think about that, ladies and gentlemen, for a moment. 60 million years distance from us. Light travels, so I remember learning at school, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. Travelling at 186,000 miles a second for 60 million years. That's quite some way, isn't it? That's quite some way. And that hasn't even begun to, to limit the scope of the universe. The universe is vast. And yet, says the writer, the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. How much would the writer have understood? Very little, I guess, in scientific terms. But what he did understand is that the universe is created by God and that God, for that reason, is greater than the sum total of his 
creation. Lovely verse in, in Isaiah chapter 40 that tries to put it in simple language and says that God measured out the heavens, the universe, in the breadth of his hand. Do you remember the old song, he holds the whole world, what? In his singular. I think the song puts it plural, doesn't it? He has the whole world in his hands. Scripture puts it singular. He doesn't even need to use both hands. God is so vast in authority, glory and power that the whole universe, the vast created universe, can be held in one hand. He measured it out by the breadth of his hand. Between his thumb and his little finger, he can put his hand on the created universe. But now, as we close, look at verses 8 to 12. Let me just leave you with this lovely thought. In verses 8 to 12, the Father, God, is addressing God the Son. The Father addresses the Son. And the Father calls the Son God. And he calls the Son Lord. God the Father is speaking about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, is God himself. In nature, in name and in authority. And he is Lord of all. And as we read those verses, 8 to 12, an amazing truth unfolds. That the child in the manger, Jesus of Bethlehem, is no less than the eternal Son of God. We learn that the hands, the human hands that writhed in agony on the cross of Calvary, the hands that were nailed to the cross were the very hands that formed the fabric of our universe. And that the 33 years of life on earth, that brief span of 33 years of life on earth, are followed by an everlasting glory. That is beyond understanding and imagination. Jesus greater than the creation. Because he is God. And he is Lord. So the message of Hebrews. And I'm just talking about the whole epistle now. As well as this first chapter. The message of Hebrews is clear. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord of all. Lord of time, Lord of eternity. But more than that, he is also the saviour of all who will believe. And in believing, listen to this, in believing in Jesus Christ, we become what even the angels in heaven are not. We become sons of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And yet as you put your faith and as I put my faith in Jesus, God looks on you and me and calls us my son. And that's not a sexist statement. A son in biblical terms, of course, was the inheritor of everything. And we are inheritors of God's grace and God's glory 
and God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking at some familiar faces, but some not quite so familiar. So can I leave you with this question? Is your faith, is your personal faith in Jesus Christ? He is Lord of all, supreme. And through trusting him, you and I become sons of the living God. If you haven't submitted to his lordship and put your faith in him, do it today. Do it today. Bless you. Amen.